Here we go, here we go. It's nice to see you. Fold your hands, close your eyes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. All right, good to see you. Thanks for um, the two weeks in a row we've upset you. Or I feel like I'm yelling at you. Does this sound really loud? A little bit? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be like, I don't want to be that guy, okay? Mary, will you turn me down just a touch? Are you sure? What? Okay. <laughs> you know what? Everybody's a little sassy this morning. And because of that, I'm not coming back next week. And, and neither are you. So uh, I'll see you in the middle of, I'll, see you, I'll probably see you the 13th of January. I'll let you know, okay? So uh, have some fun. This is an interesting day. Last week was interesting because of the race. This is interesting. This is a big day for St. John because uh, we serve, I think they said 250 families. And I think we'll give away about $50,000 to the community today. So we get names from, as other churches do who participate, we get names from schools and uh, of people who, you know, maybe need a little help around Christmas. The best year, you, pre-COVID, everybody used to come in the building. Uh, so that was one of the things that we lost. One year we had, I think, 31 different languages spoken among the people who came. It was crazy. So much fun. Now it's all changed up and it's outside and it's very efficient, but you don't quite get as much... Uh, human contact and but you can work and it's fun and so it's just a and people are very generous you know through the years we've learned so many lessons about people and generosity and just saying yes and you know there was a year when people were sort of offended that the people who came for stuff had you know nicer a nicer car than they did of course then as you talk to them a little bit you figure out they've lost their house and they're living in their car so that kind of changes your perspective a little bit right so you know so all the stuff about being judgy and thinking about, and then of course, you know, Pastor Nelson in here. One of the great things about Pastor Nelson being the new senior pastor, he's also the new he's the new ATM for St. John. People, when people want money, they go to a higher level, which has made my life unfathomably easier, right? Because he has these regular guys who call him day and night. Who, I mean, they, some people call every day for money, and you know, he has to like then every day say. I helped you last week or 10 days ago or there's other people. So anyway, it's a very interesting day. Uh, it's, we've been doing this for, there's one woman, Carol um, Holt, who is a genius at running this, but so many people help. It's, and it's a long kind of term thing. We've been doing it probably 20 years and there's probably, I don't know, there's probably 50 or 100 people working today. And through the week, people have been here. So anyway, it's a really nice St. John thing. So uh, um, sorry for the extra competition. All right, just any questions? I got a couple of questions, mostly to do, and I'll talk about this. See, this is the thing about saying things offhandedly, but you know, there you go. A couple of questions about the devil in heaven and hell. Is there sin in heaven? Uh, there's not. It's holiness, you know, is purity, and so sinlessness. So how in the world did things go wrong then? Well, this is the thing that people don't take Although I just, got, I just got my alumni magazine from Stanford just yesterday, and the cover story, I don't know if you've seen this, there's a, there's a researcher at Stanford who says there's absolutely no free will. It's the cover story. This is a big deal about three weeks ago. You've seen this, and it's kind of this argument about, which is, if there's no free will, why should I even listen to what you have to say? There's nothing I can do about it. But, but that's another story. So, uh, but of course, you know, we could talk all about that, and we need a few scientists to talk about it, but it's very interesting, you know, whether... But the, 
you know, the Christian position is, you know, uh, you have tons of free will. In fact, free will is horribly underrated. You're going to get your way for eternity. That's what free will is. Hell is when you get your own way for eternity. Heaven is when you get God's way for eternity. That's what it is. People so underestimate what free will is. To, to, you're not human if you don't have free will. It is integral to being a person, a human. And so, uh, of course, this also means that there is every likelihood of pain and suffering as a result of our free will. Devil is point number one. So I thought you were coming at me with, and that would have been a big question, Carol. You came at me like, you were just putting your sweater on, but I thought it was like this. <laughs> so it was right away, I got nervous. But yes, that's, I thought it was going to be a big question. So heaven is a place where holiness and love and joy and purity and beauty and happiness and light and warmth and comfort and life and learning are all synonyms. It just keeps going in utter purity. So there you go. Uh, we can talk more about that sometime if you'd like. Did you say the devil doesn't like incense? I did say that. Where is it written? It's in my notes. Where do you think it's written? <laughs> it's a second derivative. Jesus is beautiful and the devil is ugly. Holiness is beautiful and sin is horrid. So if you read an account, even, you know, you've probably watched, I don't watch horror movies because I work here during the day. I don't need it at home, you know. <laughs> if you watch an exorcism, if you've ever seen a story, a, a television story, about it, what, what things happen in an exorcism? People vomit, their heads turn on, their things fly across the room, but more subtly, it gets cold. People, there are putrid smells. Everything ugly and evil happens when the devil is around. Why does Jesus torture the demons? Just his very presence. He's beautiful and they're horrible. He's pure and they're, they're not. So beauty is a mark of heaven. Just read Revelation. And incense is a regular fixture in heaven. Again, read Revelation. Revelation 5, 8 and 8, 5. Easy to remember. When you pray, you fill heaven with incense. And so then another question out here. Why do we do incense uh, when we pray? Because that's tells you what's happening in heaven with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. We're praying and our prayers are going up and that fills heaven with incense and heaven and earth come together and everything is beautiful here just for a moment, which is why also then why we genuflect, for example, or ring a bell. We're marking the time where everything is wonderful. So beautiful things go with holiness, ugly things go with sin. I'll just read the story of Adam and Eve. Adam, I'm ashamed. Why are you ashamed? I'm naked. Why are you, why, how do you know you're naked? I ate from the tree. Why'd you eat from the tree? Because I think I'm a better God than you are. And the world breaks apart. Right? So uh, incense is, and then the question is, you know, why do we incense? <laughs> you know, there's general incense. Pay attention. Watch Pastor Vitt tomorrow. He'll sometimes just give a double-double. That's just making the room smell nice. But watch tomorrow, this is your assignment. He'll give a triple-double to anything that's alive. One, two, three. So can you think back? Where do you get a triple-double in the, in, the, in the service? Does anybody know? He's telling you this is alive, where? Altar. At the altar, because the altar is Christ. Where else? 
Rumsey, do you when you bear the when you bear the crucifix, do you bow before you go up? When you bear the crucifix, do you bow when you go up to the altar? What's that? If you have the crucifix. Well, you shouldn't because you're Jesus, for goodness sakes. You'll also know the gospel book doesn't bow because the book is Jesus. Jesus doesn't bow. We bow to Jesus. He doesn't bow to himself. So anything that's holy gets a triple-double. What gets it? The crucifix? The altar? You as the body of Christ? The body and blood when they're elevated? Triple-double, triple-double. Pay attention. It's a secret sign that something divine is happening. Right? There's all these secret signs going on all the time. They wouldn't bother you if you didn't know about it. But when you know about it, you go, you know, oh, that makes some sense. So, uh, again, these are things that happen to teach. It's just like saying the creed. You know, when you sense the people, you're saying the creed. One holy Catholic apostolic church, the body of Christ. So we're kind of marking uh, these things. Then, uh, let's see, last thing. Hey, you guys say different things when you give me the blood of Jesus. What's happening? Apparently, some people say the blood of Jesus, and some people say the, the blood of Christ, and then other people say the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Here's the thing, it's all true. But if for each one of you we say, the blood of Christ shed for you for the full forgiveness of all your sins, we have to add an hour to the service. So we're just assuming that you paid attention when we sensed you, and you already know that about yourself. Self-knowledge is a beautiful thing. So this is how I'm, we'll do all this when we come back. But what should happen is the pastor holds the host in front of you. The body of Christ, just literal statement, the body of Christ. And he waits for you to agree or disagree to exercise your free will. If you say amen, yes, of course that's the body of Christ, you moron, give it to me, I'm a damn sinner. If you agree, then he gives it to you. If you're silent, he may show mercy. Say, well, you'll grow older in time. And if you say no, then we say, okay, hell is when you get your way forever. See how these things fit together? So why does he say it? It's just a confession. What have you got here? It's like I used to sell beer at Bush Stadium. That's how I paid for seminary. It was great. Third base box seats. I saw three World Series. Fabulous. I can pour two beers at a time and make change all at once. <laughs> that was another part of my life. But, uh, you know, the thing is, you're like, and if you, get, if you wanted to be punished in Bush Stadium, you know how they would punish a vendor, a beer vendor? They would make you sell Labatt's. Have you ever tried to sell a Canadian beer in Bush Stadium? Yeah, I mean, you're... You've got warm beer, the same case in the seventh inning. It's because, you know, that's how subtle ways of harassment. But, uh, you know, you say, hey, hey, Bush. And then somebody goes, I'll take four. Amen. Hey, Bush. Amen. Oh, you're in. You say, no, I'll wait for Labatt's. We're like, hell is when you get your own way forever. Okay, so it's the same at the altar. The body of Christ, amen. The blood of Christ, amen. Which means I agree, which is faith which means thanks very much, this is great, here we go. How's that, you still good? Maybe I was moving a little too fast because I got so many things I want to do, but I also didn't want to ignore the questions because if I ignore them, then you won't write them to me and then I'll be sad and nothing will work and you know, we won't come back till January. Okay, you all good? I once had a man who came in and said, my best friend is dying 
And uh, he's terrified because he's made a bit of a hash out of his life. What should I say? So this is always a hard thing because it's not that we don't know what to say. It's that you need to say something under the pressure of a man's dying and he's made a hash of his life. So you be me, my favorite game. You be me. What do we do? And of course, when people are under stress, you can't expect them to remember, you know, well, of course, he was baptized and the sign of the cross was put on him and the demons were cast out and forgiveness is always there. I mean, the guy's dead by the time you finish that speech. Plus, the person you can't remember it. So I, um, this first one that says, no sin, no guilt, right? I know I gave you a bunch of these. The one that says, no sin, no guilt. I said, take this to your friend. Take this to your friend who's dying. It says, page four on the bottom, Lent five, no sin, no guilt. And it also says, you know, go play with a clean conscience. Have you got it? We handed them out in order, yeah. but I know, but we can really, you know, we can't expect you to keep them in order. Once I used to staple them all together, but then people sort of didn't look at them. I'm like, the whole point is to look at them, right? So anyway, if you have a friend who's dying and got a guilty conscience, I guess, I, you know, this is one way to go. Whether taking a shower, jogging on the levee, eating a meal, or praying the scriptures, a vivid recollection of some sin of my past life which flashed through my mind. And this is very common, especially at the end of life. People sort of are quiet. Sometimes they can't speak. Maybe they can't hear so well, but the mind is very active. If you ever visit somebody who's near to death, you should act as if all their faculties are at work. I've been places where people are going, shall we pull the plug? I want to pull the plug. I don't want to pull the plug. She was never very nice to me. And I can see the person's eyes going like, what is going on here? You're talking about pulling the plug right in front of me. This is a true story. I mean, you should always presume that people can hear you when you're at work. Well, often what people do in their last days is sort of take stock. One afternoon, I dove under the covers trying to hide myself. I felt unclean like a moral leper scarred with sin. And of course, this is exactly how this person presented himself. I've made a hash of my life and I'm gonna die, now what? That same night, I read a passage from a book by Nikos Kazantzakis, Letters to Greco. An old man lies dying. He's filled with grief, remorse, and guilt because of his sinful life. At length, he dies and goes naked and trembling before the Lord for judgment. Jesus has a big bowl of sweet-smelling ointment and washed the man clean of his grime and shame. Then Jesus said, don't bother me with that stuff anymore. Go over and play. So that's absolution. Jesus says to you, hey, don't bother me with that anymore. You should go play. And I think we have often a very different notion of what forgiveness is. We often make it much more painful than it's meant to be. And the pain usually lies with us. So I want to see if I can get you to the point where forgiveness matters, and especially for yourself. Now, in advance of that, and it's fortunate that Pastor Vid is here again today because you'll need him tomorrow. In advance of that, it's really important for us to understand the nature of words. Jesus speaks extraordinary words. Or another way to say it is that Jesus the words of Jesus do what they say. 
Or Luther once said, Jesus speaks realities. Now, of course, this is nothing new in the scriptures. I gave you some psalm, a psalm this morning. See if you can find that, Psalm 29. It says this is how absolution works. This is the inner mechanics of, of absolution. That the word does the work. Full page says Psalm 20, 29, 28 on the top because the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible number them differently. Just, you know, like we number the commandments dif differently. We have it, it's a full page. And it just says, it says, this is how absolution works on the top, Psalm 29. So the key here is that the words do what they say. Now, you think to yourself, we live in a world where words are cheap. People can say, you know, of course we've had a little dust up in the last week or two because, um, you know, all of a sudden words matter again. It's very, very interesting. Words matter, they don't matter. They matter, they don't matter. I can say whatever I want, it doesn't matter. I can say it anonymously, it doesn't matter then suddenly it does matter. Or it doesn't matter or does it matter? It's just that we live in such an interesting time. We don't even know what we're doing when we speak. Well, whatever we're doing, the Lord speaks realities. And it's very, very important to understand this. Ascribe to the Lord you heavenly powers. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory of his name. Bow down to, before the Lord, majestic in holiness. Now watch. The voice, the voice, right, words. The voice of the Lord upon the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord on the immensity of the waters. The voice of the Lord is full of power. The voice of the Lord is full of splendor. This goes back now to heaven and beauty, right? The voice of the Lord shatters trees. This is a very interesting statement. Is it in fact true that the Lord can say to a tree, be shattered, and it's shattered? Well, it's very interesting, because once Jesus said to a tree, I curse you, and it withered. Remember? Jesus is going to Jerusalem. There's no fruit on the tree. He's hungry. He says, they said, he says, pick me some fruit. They say, there's no fruit on the tree. He curses the tree, and the tree withers. The voice of the Lord. When people tell you there's no proof that Jesus has ever said he was God, read the text. The voice of the Lord shatters cedars. The voice of the Lord, the cedars of Lebanon, shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. So he controls the land and he controls the sky. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. Think about Revelation where the Lord speaks and with a tongue of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Nobody believes this, of course, until there's an earthquake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord rends the oak tree and strips the forest bare. In his temple, they all cry glory. Anyway, the whole point is, and you'll want to um, remember this, that God speaks realities. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you believe this. Because Jesus says, let there be light and there's light. John 1, right? The creation is done through the Word, incarnate Jesus. Uh, the Word, later the Word incarnate. Let there be light, and there's light. And Jesus says to the man who can't walk, rise and walk, and he rises and walks. And Jesus says to the leper, you're cleansed, and then they're cleansed. And Jesus says to the blind man, you can see now, and then the man can see. And Jesus says to the man with sins, you're forgiven. Now we get a little esoteric, because of course we can see the leper go, leprous spots go away on the skin, but we're a little more 
just like the Pharisees, unwilling to say that sins could be forgiven. Who but God can forgive sins? And the question answers itself. <laughs> Your sins are forgiven and they're forgiven. And Jesus says, this is my body and it's his body. He says, this is my blood and it's his blood. It's very important. It's a very just kind of fundamental thing in Christianity. God speaks realities. God spoke creation into existence. Where did it come from? God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the light was separated from the darkness, evening and morning the first day. And God said, this is just crucial. You either believe this or you don't believe it. Faith agrees, unfaith disagrees. This means the Christian life is that when Jesus tells you something, you say, thank you very much. Now, you can make it esoteric and you can ask about, you know, bark coming off a tree. Or you could ask about, you know, how the stars got in place. Fine, you know, if you like. But one of the places where it's most evident and also most painful is in our own sins. And so when Jesus says to Lazarus, who's dead, hey, Lazarus, you should come out. When Jesus speaks words to a dead man and the dead man stands up and walks out, you might want to pay attention to that. You can, of course, say, as people have through the, through the years, well, you know, I didn't see it. And of course, that means you're God and God's power stops at the horizon of your sight. Your sight line is the, then the boundary of God's power. You didn't see it, or I can't believe it. Well, there's a lot of things you can't believe. Stick around, you'll get better at it. You know, there's all kinds of reasons not to believe things, but if you give it a try, life is so, so much better. So go to this one where it says, uh, really, God is love. And as you're paging around, there's another one that says, really, truly, and then it says, really, 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 because one of the problems that we have is actually agreeing with God, even when he says something as simple as, I love you. The number of people I've talked to through the years who say, God hates me, is just quite remarkable. Right, so you have these three in a row. And part of the reason, of course, is because love would solve almost every problem that walks through my door. If you and I actually believed that God loved us, um, you know, 99% of our problems would go right away. So this one at the top says, really, God is love. Now look, at, look down at the bottom. St. John Chrysostom, God loves us more than we love ourselves. Which is really quite a remarkable thing. That's to say... What God says is more important than you say. You got it? It's on the bottom. There you go. Okay, it says God really loves us. Does it say that at the top? Really, God loves us? Yeah, really, God is love. That's what it says. Really, God is love. God loves us more than we love ourselves. Now, for proof of that, grab a Bible and see if you can find John 8. John chapter 8. One of the glorious stories of Scripture. This woman who gets caught in adultery. This table is being apparently in the penalty box. They didn't get any Bibles. Nah, they need about, there's four of them, they'll need about nine. <laughs> John 8. Have you got a page there, Pastor? Yeah. What page? 894. At least in some of it, it's going to be an 894. 894. Is that the large print edition? This is the regular The regular print edition. You're a very strong young man, Pastor Vitt. Strong eyes. Put glasses. 
You got it? You got help your help the person next to you. This is just a, I mean, as I said last week, if you had the prodigal son, that all, that's all you'd need. If you have this story, this is all you need. Of course, I can tell you that about Christmas and Easter too, but this is such a startlingly good story. Everybody went home, but Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. So if you've been to the Mount of Olives, you know, it's over the Kidron Valley and up the hill, and you can, it's this beautiful view of Jerusalem. It's the one you classically see with the gold dome, and uh, you're up on the Mount of Olives, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and from which the Old Testament says the Messiah will return. He'll return from the east over the Mount of Olives. So there's all kinds of significance in this. Jesus is at the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, Jesus went to the temple. So you can imagine him going down the hill and across the brook and up through the gate and then to the temple. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. So far, this is beautiful. This is just a story about love. They found a rabbi. They sit down and listen to him. They're keen to imitate him, even to be known by his name, Christians. The scribes and the Pharisees, who are, you know, holy people, but always up to no good, try to put that together. The scribes, those are the smart guys, and the Pharisees, those are the holy guys. So the smart guys and the holy guys brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery. Now, of course, this raises all sorts of questions. But caught seems to me sort of caught in the act. And yes, there's not a man present, so this woman is uh, both victimized and weak with no one to defend her. And this may not go well in the ancient world. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, rabbi, rabbi, here's a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. So now they sort of up the ante, we have witnesses. It's sort of a, it's a lock. You know, there's no, there's no question here. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone her. What do you say? And of course, if you, I mean, I will say this, you can still, I mean, unfortunately, you can still, you can go on YouTube today and watch someone be stoned to death. It is among the most horrible things, gruesome things that human beings can do to each other. There seems to be an urgency here. And these aren't, you know, obviously there's are things in the last 10 years, 20 years. Moses said, and of course you see the danger here. Moses is the great big deal. And so if you disagree with Moses, you must be not a great big deal. In fact, you are probably a sinner as bad as this woman. So if he agrees with them, then Jesus is the sort of person who stones people who sin. And if he disagrees, then he's the sort of person who disagrees with Moses. So pick one. This should be a lesson for us about asking bad questions. If you ask bad questions, you get bad answers. They said this to test Jesus, to sift him, sort him out, that they might have a charge to bring against him. If you speak against Moses, that can go badly. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Someday when you get to heaven, you can ask what he wrote. Nobody seems to know. There's all kinds of speculation, but you know. You need to have, you'll need a surprise or two when you get to heaven. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So line up, boys and girls, stack ranked by holiness, 
and have a go. The only price of admission is that you have to be sinless. Now this translates fairly easy to almost every human interaction. We are by nature judgy, and we are often much more interested in our own holiness and superiority and defensibility than we are in anybody else's troubles or even place in life. Once more he bent down and he wrote with his finger on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, right, one by one. They have this mob, right? You're ready to kill somebody. You can watch this on the news tonight. And you could have watched it last year and the year before. Jesus speaks to them. He speaks realities. He speaks words that change things. He speaks words that have power. And people who are ready to kill somebody begin to walk away one by one. And then beginning with the eldest, which is the biblical way of saying beginning with the smartest. So they were all in line, holy to sinner, and now they're all in line, smartest to dumbest. Most mature to least mature. They began to walk away one by one, beginning with the eldest. People who had better sense. People who were self-reflective. People who knew what their lives were really like. People who had some self-knowledge. Maybe who'd even been to confession. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Which is very much what you'll be like tomorrow when you kneel down uh, at the pew or when that pastor comes around and says, the body of Jesus. You'll notice Pastor Witt will look right at you. You'll have somebody here and you'll have somebody here, but he's really not interested in them. At the moment he's with you, he's with you. And of course, as Chrysostom also says, when the priest extends his hand to you with the body, it's not the priest who extends his hand, but Jesus himself. So tomorrow, when you kneel down at absolution or when you kneel down at the altar, it'll just be you and Jesus, just like Jesus and this woman. This is you, you're in the story, it's beautiful. And Jesus looked up and said to her, hey, where did everybody go? <laughs> this is weird, just you and me. Woman, where are they? And then of course, the great question, as opposed to the other horrible question, questions. My first thing, back when we had vicars, among the top 10 things I told vicars were, sell all your periods and buy question marks. Question. This woman was caught in adultery, period. This sort of woman should be stoned, period. Jesus, where did everybody go? Question mark. Is anyone condemning you right now? Question mark. She says, nope, maybe question mark. What just happened here? I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. Prodigal son story, right? Same story from last week. You only got one story. Someday at the end of this, you'll figure out that every one of these pieces of paper has the same thing on it. But by then I'll be fully retired, living in Bermuda. <laughs> Has no one condemned you? Now let's think about the possibilities. Who are the people in the story who are condemning her? Who is there? Sorry? 
Pharisees. So you have religious types, the church. You get the church all tied up. The church has always got its hands in the mix. So, but it's not just, I think, some, man, I think some of those people were less than churchgoers. They were just along for the ride. So you got people in the church who are willing to stone somebody. I know this could never happen if you have voters' meetings. And then there are kind of other people around, the people in the village, the people in Jerusalem, the people who want to see things. There's always somebody watching other people get stoned. Now, this is just the, this is the ancient equivalent of when somebody's beating somebody up. People don't rush over and say, let me help you. They put their phone out. It's the most amazing thing to watch somebody being murdered while 10 people tape it. It's amazing. You sort of go, what, I mean, forget about technology. What's happening inside people when, that, when, that, when that's the most important thing? It's a complete disconnect. You can only kill people if you're completely disconnected from them. So you have a community, church, and then who else is there? Jesus, so you have God, and then you have the woman herself. So you have at least three things. Now just pause and think about sin for a moment. When you sin, and you notice the woman never said, I didn't do that. Stipulated at the beginning, every, she was caught, so everybody knows it, and we can talk about it all we want, but everybody agrees, the woman and Jesus and the Pharisees and all the people standing around and all the people getting stones and a bag of gravel for the kids, checking, checking, Monty Python, none of you? Really? <laughs> what a sadness. Manny, that's the way to get it, confess it, Manny, because then it can be forgiven. That's good, that's good. So you have God, the community, and the woman. And sin breaks her relationship with God, the community, and the woman. Your sins break your relationship with God, the community, and yourself. Tomorrow when you kneel down, you're going to cover all these. You're going to kneel down and say to God, I've broken my relationship with you this week. And when I did that, there was collateral damage. I wounded all kinds of other people and acted like I was a little hoodlum instead of a Christian. And I feel horrible. Pay attention. This is all going to happen. This story is going to happen when you kneel down tomorrow for absolution. Pastor Vitt, in the role of Jesus, We'll keep things online, don't worry. But first you say, everything is on the bias to me. Everything is broken. And then the question is, how do things get fixed? There was tohu wobohu, chaos and void, and the Lord said, let there be light. Mary and Martha said, our brother's been lying in the tomb for four days, and if you'd have come here earlier, but Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. They lowered the man down on a mat in front of Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisee said, foul play. And he said, well, just so you know his sins are forgiven, you can stand up and walk and go home. Jesus speaks realities. God started the universe with his words. He can speak and tear the bark off a tree. He says to the woman, is anybody condemning you? There's nobody left in the community to condemn her because they've all gone home. Jesus isn't condemning her. She knows it's coming. In just a moment, he's going to say, 
neither do I condemn you. Often the hardest thing is that people forgive themselves. This is very commonly the hardest thing I run into, that people just cannot forgive themselves. They, they cannot see their own sins. They cannot forgive themselves. They cannot see the damage that they've done, and they can't go out in holiness and peace, a little bit of heaven on earth. And tomorrow in the liturgy, 10 times Pastor Vitt is gonna tell you, you're all okay. He's gonna say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are baptized, and the peace of the Lord be with you because you're forgiven. And he's going to say the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And he's going to say, go in peace, serve the Lord. And he's going to put his, the Lord's name on you and bless you, just like it says in Numbers chapter 6. But we're all going to go out, and by Wednesday, there will be a code infraction. Say it again. By Monday. By Monday. Yes, by Monday. Well, some of us take Monday off, Mandy, but yes, I, 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 take, I take the point. Woman, where are they? Has anyone condemned you? She said, nope. No one, Lord. Important, right? The name, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, or I forgive you all your sins. So this is the same language. I mean, it'd be great if Pastor Vitt tomorrow changed it up and said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. People would be like, we need to call the bishop. Don't say it. <laughs> Neither do I condemn you. And then, you know, this translation, go, hey, and don't sin anymore. I mean, it could also be translated, hey, go and you don't have to sin anymore. Hey, go have some fun. Go, you're a different person. Go because, you remember last week, Jesus takes away all your sins. Don't take them back. If you take them back, you're a thief. You see how these stories are all the same, over and over again. Of course, you're smart people. I mean, one of the great joys of St. John is that people are so blast and smart. But I mean, to get you to kind of believe this, and if you believe it, then to do it, and to make it the ethos of the place, and to have it in your family, and to have it in your own life, and have it in your community, and then figure out how you're gonna live in a world that doesn't believe any of this that there is no free will, and we all just kind of slimed up out of the muck. Here's your prompt for the week. Is evolution a resurrection story? Yes or no? Proceed. Dead things become alive? We already had that story. They stole it from us. Really, truly, God is love. Here you go. St. Augustine. Now, just look at how different God is from us, St. Augustine. Really, truly, God is love, really. For all you Law Gospel Lutherans, take a lesson. Just as severity is ready to punish the sins that it finds, so love does not want to find any to punish, St. Augustine. That's Jesus with the woman. It says really, truly on the top. Really, truly, God is love. Really, really, truly, God is love. The law wants to find some sins to punish. The gospel hopes it doesn't find any sins. The scribes and the Pharisees want to find some sins to punish. Jesus can't find any sins. How does that work? Just as severity is ready to punish the sins that it finds, so you, Christians, 
like Jesus, so you who live by love, hope you don't find any. That interesting? Most people, I think, including our, our default is to find the error, find the sin, find the break, find the offense. Henry Nouwen has this great phrase where he says, sometimes when people sin against us, we just need to step over the sin and keep going. Isn't that great? It's like tomorrow if you watch football, in the end zone, there'll be a lot of no calls. Be people grabbing like this all the way down, all the way down. They'll be grabbing, they'll be holding on, they'll be pushing, they'll be, but it'll get flagged outside. In the end zone, it's a no call. Your life's a no call. Jesus steps over your sins. He apparently can't see them. Very interesting how much he loves you. Really, 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 God is love. For you hardcore Lutherans, here comes Luther, picking up the slack. Really, 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 God is love. Really, he really is. This is so important because I bump into people regularly who think that wrath belongs to God's nature. No such thing. There is no wrath in God. God is love. And it's like it fills up the glass and there's no room left. God's true nature is to love people. This is crazy coming from Luther, who was such a crank a lot of the time. God's true nature is to love people, not just the lovable people. God's true nature is to love people who are troubled. That's like you. What does God do with his time? He loves you because you're in trouble, you got caught in adultery or something. God's true nature is to have mercy on those who are brokenhearted. I mean, this Luther must have had two sherries after Thanksgiving dinner. He sat down and wept into his books. Come on, this is great. God's true nature is to forgive those who have fallen and refresh those who are exhausted. You know, like the woman in John 8. That's God's true nature. This is what God wants to do all day long. This is what he does with his free time. When people say to God, what are your hobbies? He says, oh, I don't know, fixing the broken, finding the brokenhearted. Do you read? No, I'm really busy. There's a lot of sinners. Or travel much? No, I'm, you know, saw it all kind of at the beginning. Now I'm just kind of focused more locally. Mm -mm -mm -mm. There's a little bit by now and it looks like it says John B, which would be my brother. No, it says John 8. Jesus teaches the woman in adultery to love herself, right? One of the greatest dangers in the spiritual life is self-rejection. So, I mean, it was, it's funny because, you know, I've said this in sermons and also to you. And, you know, everybody's got a story. If we went around the room, everybody would tell the same story. Oh, and then this happened, that kind of broke things up, and I felt bad about that, and we haven't spoken for a while, and dot, 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 right? But eventually it boils back to people not being able to love themselves and then being so insecure that they're constantly judging other people, make themselves feel better, and of course that just makes it worse. One of the greatest dangers in the spiritual life is self-rejection. When we say, if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me, 
we choose the road toward darkness. Remember, Jesus is light. The devil is darkness. Often we are made to believe that self-deprecation is a virtue called humility. But humility is, in reality, the opposite of self-deprecation. It is the grateful recognition that we are precious in God's eyes and that all we are is pure gift. To grow beyond self-rejection, we must have the courage to listen to the voice calling us God's beloved sons and daughters and the determination always to live our lives according to this truth, to live our lives according to the voice of God. Last week, it's nothing until I call it. Ball or strike, it's nothing till I call it. You at baptism, you're my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Faith agrees. You see how all these things come together? I didn't draw the circle, but everything today is about repair. What you do when inside the circle things get a little testy, and what you do when people fall far outside the circle of their baptism, outside the church. The answer is actually the same for both. You listen to the voice of Jesus who says he loves you and it's very difficult for him to find any sins. And if he finds them, he'll take them away. And then you should go live without your sins because your sins aren't good for you, you know. If you sin, it's like putting your nose in a meat slicer. Now you might say to yourself, who does Pastor Vitt think he is? I know I've said that to myself a time or two in the past few weeks. For the answer, you should turn to John 20. Pastor Vitt, in your defense, if you can give the page number for John 20, think how much better your life will be. Occasionally, although I've had it less lately and I don't know why, maybe we've screened in advance or maybe people believe it, but there's always the question about why Milena's husband can forgive my sins? That's a logical question. I mean, let's face it, we trust Milena more than Alvaro. So, uh, you know. John 20. Uh, you got a number there, Pastor? What do you say? 906 in the company issued Bible. So this is... Um, Easter, and then I just want to point out in verse 26, this is just a sidebar, verse 20, 26, eight days later, their Sunday being identified as the eighth day. So sometimes people go, Jesus rose on the first day. No, Jesus rose on the third day. No, Jesus rose on the eighth day. All of the above, are, all, it's all of the above. Here's where John calls it the eighth day. But we're just going to back up from that. So Jesus rises from the dead on the first day of the week. John's versatile. In John 20, verse 1, it's the first day. And in John 20, 26, it's the eighth day. Cool. All Sundays. So Jesus rises from the dead. Jesus goes to see Mary Magdalene. And then, because Jesus apparently doesn't get weary too much in his resurrected body, he wanders over to Jerusalem, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. So you're still on the Easter day. The doors were locked where the disciples were because they were afraid. They were afraid that what happened to Jesus would happen to them. Jesus came 
and stood among them and said, tomorrow, now you just gloss this, wherever you see Jesus, this would be a test of the pastoral office. We'll put in Pastor Vit and see whether it works or not. So Pastor Vit came and stood among us. We'll be watching for him. I think it'll be about 11.06 a.m. Yes, 11.06 a.m. should be about the right time. Pastor Vit will come and stand among us and he'll say, Peace be with you. Jesus came to them. He stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Of course, this is um, the peace of heaven. You know, this is, everything is okay. Like, I love you and you love me and don't worry about it. And I'm back to life and you're afraid, but you don't need to be afraid. And where you sinned against me, I stepped over that. And it's all going to be okay. Peace be with you. When he said this, just so they were sure they weren't hallucinating like ChatGPT, he said, here's my hands and here's my side. Now, when you go to heaven, one of the fun attractions will be for you to be able to put your finger in Jesus' hands. That must have been a big nail. I guess you'll be able to kind of look up and see his beating heart like you do in those Catholic cards that they give you at funerals. It was good. Here's my hands, here's my side. This is his way of saying, it's me. He didn't have a passport. He showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad, right? Understatement. They were glad. They were glad it was him. They were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, because people can't pay attention when they're a little shocky. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And at ordination, Jesus said to Pastor Vitt, as the Father sent me, so I send you. This is how you get pastors. We make it so complicated, but this is how it works. Jesus picked somebody and he said, I'm sending you. And then after that, as the apostles knew they were getting close to dying, they would always get younger guys, Timothy, Titus, right? They'd get younger guys around and they'd say, well, you look like you'd make a good plumber, but why don't you come and be a pastor? Because, you know. The union is better. I didn't say that. So anyway, they said, the plumber's union is pretty good, actually. And the Father, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So the reason, if anybody says to Pastor Vitt tomorrow, why would you forgive my sins? He says, well, Jesus sent me over here because he knew you lot were a bunch of damn sinners. In fact, you're distant relatives of the woman in John 8, from what I understand. Say stuff like that, okay? Don't worry. By the time they wake up, you'll be scooted out the door to have lunch with Milena. It's going to be great. When he said this, he breathed on them. Spirit. If you can get close enough to Jesus to have him breathe on you, take the offer. Everything from Jesus is hallow. The gospel is touch. His breath bestows himself. His breath bestows. What is your breath? It's your life. Everybody dies from lack of oxygen to the brain. You can call it other things, but that's what you die from, from lack of spirit, lack of breath. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Hey, Alvaro, you should go to seminary. And if you can make it through, and as a bonus prize, Mary Malena, then I'll send you into the general Wheaton area. It personalizes like that. And when Jesus said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. 
Now, we talked last week about which, he's not a free agent. He forgives all the sins that you'll allow him to forgive. You come and put all your sins, you can come see him. Are you this week? I don't know. Yeah, you be this week. You come see Pastor Vid at 5.15. On Wednesday, he'll be waiting for you. You bring all your sins and you just, you just put them out there like you're showing him your baseball cards. And he'll, you know, sort of say, ah, boof, that one's worth nothing. In the name instead of Jesus, he'll take your sins away. It'll be very, very nice for you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of Eddie, you're forgiven. Do you believe that the words that I speak are the words of Christ himself? Yes, I do. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I forgive all your sins. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Receive the Holy Spirit. So this wasn't his idea. In fact, if it was up to me, there'd be about 30% of people here who aren't forgiven. Because, you know, you've got to keep house, Jonathan. You can't just let the inmates run wild. No, see, we, we have bad ideas. That's why it's in the stand by the command. Otherwise, you know, even I wouldn't be forgiven. By myself, I mean. Now, it's 10 o'clock, but you just, I'm going to just finish with this. For you Lutheran types, you can read this bit from Luther where he talks about the law and the gospel. What's really important here is how merciful he is, and then this very, in, I just need to say this to you. If, you're, if you've been in the church a while, if you think about law and gospel, you'll, the law accuses, but it doesn't condemn. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're never condemned. That's basically, Luther writes a little thing and he says, he's basically saying, you pastors, you treat your people like they're pagans. Don't you know how hard it is to be a Christian and how much struggle they face? And didn't you remember they were last here last week and they're gonna be here this week and the only reason they're not in this class is because they're out there giving away food to poor people? Come on, could you just shape up a little bit and take it easy? And of course, the message is the same for you too. It's a beautiful little thing where he basically says, this is, I'm giving you tender-hearted Luther. You thought Luther was all hammers and nails and the first you know, rubric of the Christian life is to have your sins free. Yeah, okay. But this too, right? Then this last thing, and I, you know, I haven't given this to you since the Me Too thing because Keeler felt quite out of favor. And of course, rightly so. But on the other hand, there's something beautiful about this. And I just, you know, if you can't hear it from Jesus or me, then maybe from this. You got it? It's this one right here. It's the color. Last thing, and then we'll go home. Lake Wobegon is a great place for overtly ambitious young men to be from and to talk about because it does save you from your quest to be the best, which is a great relief in life. You live in a community where everybody wants to be the best, and it's not a great relief. All you need to do is count the number of travel teams your kids are on. People all over the country are angry at themselves for not being smart enough or skinny enough or rich enough or sexy enough, but in Lake Wobegon, they gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> we failed a long time ago, and that is a blessing. Lake Wobegon will never be the Athens of the Midwest. It will never hope to. We knew we weren't Athenians. We knew it was beyond us even to try. It never will be the jewel of Miss County. It never will be the queen city of the upper Mississippi River Valley. It's a place where people believe in the idea of things being good enough, good enough, as we say back home. It could be worse. 
Sometimes things are just good enough. Sometimes your children are good enough. Sometimes you live in a town that's good enough to live in. That's good. Good enough for you. And once you recognize that idea of things being good enough, then you can be happy. And people in Lake Wobegon are pretty happy comparatively. Things could be worse than good enough. All right, all that is advice, but watch this. It's a good place to go to learn things that you knew a long time ago. To learn that work is a privilege as well as a necessity. And if you do your job well, no matter what it is, you can look anybody in the eye. That's good human dignity. That we make our own opportunities, but that no matter who we are, each one of us will have our share of sorrow. We can't outsmart life, can't avoid it. Each of us will have our share and a little bit more. But now the gospel, right? But when we come to the end and to the last judgment, we are all equal and all naked together before God, all of us, without exception. And so that day come quickly. We want to enjoy what is truly best, and that is fresh sweet corn and good coffee, church pies, new jokes, and then this. This is the church you want to belong to. And people who, even though they know you awfully well, they still vote for acquittal. <laughs> now, if that is not kneeling down and getting absolution, I do know not. Even though Jesus knows you awfully well, tomorrow he'll vote for acquittal. That's the church you want to belong to. All right, let's pray. Let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you very much. Okay, take a couple of weeks off. Remember that there's dinner on Wednesday, this week and next week, and then today. So dinner at 545. I mean, free dinner. If you haven't come to dinner, please come to dinner. It's quite nice. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be very nice the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, through Christmas. And we'll get back together in the middle of January. Okay, thanks.